Honestly, as we're going, as I began this, I had certain ones that I thought that, okay, we'll do this and this and this. And then I look at, last week we did Psalm 32, and so I said, well, I better look over Psalm 33, and okay, Lord, what do you want us to do? And he said, all right, just stop here on this one, all right? And um, as far as I know... Um, next week we'll be in Psalm 34 if you want to, but we're not going to hit every Psalm. That's my plan. Maybe God will change it, but, um, and I'm open to that. Um, but we'll, we'll see. But Psalm 33. Now, you notice Psalm 33. Often in the Psalms it will say a Psalm of David, a Psalm of such and such. This, there is no heading there. But the message of this psalm, God has recorded for us. And the psalm itself isn't dependent on us knowing who recorded this. But you notice in Psalm 33, as I'll, I'll just read it, and you can follow along. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, for praise from the upright is beautiful. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make melody to Him with an instrument of ten strings. Sing to Him a new song. Play skillfully with a shout of joy. For the word of the Lord is right, and all His work is done in truth. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. By the word of the Lord the heavens were made. And all the hosts of them by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea together as in heap. He lays up the deep in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He makes the plans of the peoples of no effect. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The people he has chosen as his own inheritance. The Lord looks from heaven. He sees all the sons of men. From the place of his dwelling, he looks on all the inhabitants of the earth. He fashions their hearts individually. He considers all their works. No king is saved by the multitude of an army. A mighty man is not delivered by great strength. A horse is a vain hope for safety. Neither shall it deliver any by its great strength. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his mercy, to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Our heart shall rejoice in him because we have trusted in his holy name. Let Your mercy, O Lord, be upon us, just as we hope in you. Matthew Henry, commenting on this psalm, said, 
What a pity it is in the earth that is so full of God's goodness that it should be so empty of his praises when we all live on the bounty of his goodness, he said, and yet we give so few praise to him. Think about just this last week. How often did you give to God praise? What part does praise play in your life? Now, let's, let's compare it. What part did praise play in your life? And how big a role did complaining play in your life? You know, it's so easy and natural for us to c- complain. When Monday it was 60 degrees and Wednesday night, was it, it got down to 5 degrees. Did anybody complain about the drastic changes of the weather? Did any complain about the snow that we got this last week? Okay. Did you complain that you were served leftovers? Did you complain? And we could go on and on. But did you praise And in this psalm, he really gives us um, some principles of praise. And and it's kind of like a bookend. He begins, Rejoice in the Lord, you righteous, for praise from the upright is beautiful. Praise the Lord. And then he ends the psalm by saying, um, Our heart shall rejoice in him, Because we have trusted in him, let your mercy, O Lord, be upon us. So he's exhorting us to praise the Lord. He's exhorting us at the end, our heart will rejoice in him because of his mercy. But it is clear throughout this psalm that he is saying, as children of God, we should be filled with praise for the Lord. It is expected of the righteous. He says, for praise from the upright is beautiful. Or another translation, praise from the upright is comely. Or the sense of it is, it is natural. It is normal. It is to be expected that those that are righteous should be filled with praise. Last week we looked at Psalm 32. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven him, to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. That alone should cause the righteous to be filled with praise, to be filled with thanksgiving. There is no exercise that is more becoming of a follower of Jesus Christ than genuine praise. And yet, how often is it lacking in our lives? It is is important that we would make it a priority, that that we would begin and, and make a priority in our day. God, today I want to praise you in how I work, in my words, in my thoughts, You alone are praiseworthy, and God, I want to make it a priority to bring praise to you. So he he says, 
It's natural. It's normal. It should be a priority in our life that we as Christians praise the Lord. He said to do it in song, to make a a play skillfully with a shout of joy. And then he goes on and he gives us some reasons why we should praise the Lord. For the word of the Lord is right. He says in verse 4, and all his work is done in truth. We need to praise him for his perfect character. His words are right. His words are straightforward. His words are dependable. And it says, and his works are done in truth or in faithfulness. So he says, think of the character of God. He says, the word of the Lord is right. All his works are done in truth. The character of God, that, that there is no blemish in him, everything is right. And then he goes on and he says, and also praise him for his justice. God, verse 5, loves righteousness and justice The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. So we praise him for his character. We praise him for his justice. He loves righteousness. He gives goodness to all. The earth is full of his goodness. God, Matthew 5 said, God makes a sun to rise on the just and on the unjust. He gives goodness to all. And yet in his justice, he tells us that he will judge sin. So he says in verse 5, the Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his goodness. Notice verse 6, another reason. We praise him for his perfect character. We praise him for his justice. Verse 6 and 7 We praise him for his creation. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and all the hosts of them by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea together as in heap. He lays up the deep in the storehouses. He talks about God and his creation. And you notice what he said. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. It was not made by millions and billions of years of slowly developing. Honestly, I wish evolution was true. I'd go buy an old junker and leave it in the barn long enough and it would turn into a a muscle car. You know what I'm saying? Tell me anything you own or anything you've ever seen that has ever gotten better with time. It doesn't happen. God spoke and this world was formed. That's the power of God. And everything you see, I mean, we're, we're coming into an exciting time to, to live in the Midwest where spring and, and things come to life again and, and all God's design in all of this. The creation that they can tell us, sunrise will be at 625, and if you want to know the exact second, it will tell you that. Who keeps that? It's God. He spoke, 
And this came in, I mean, just, just his creation alone should fill us with praise. Look at, look at all that God has done here. I mean, wasn't it amazing? The full moon this week and the snow covered ground, how light it was then. And only God can do that. And he says, praise him. For his creation, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and the hosts of them. We can't, we haven't even reached, with with all our technology, we don't even know how far the universe goes. And it says, and the hosts of them were the breath of his mouth. He did. And all the stars, all the universes, we have, we have no idea what everything is out there, but God calls them all by name. I hear these ads, name a star for the one you love. I'm sorry if you've done that, but personally, I think that's really stupid. You know what I mean? The guy that's put this together has made a good chunk of money off it. He must because every year I hear these ads and I think... um, Surely this will be the last year, but no, it comes around. And I'm sorry if you've named a star after yourself or your dog or your friend or your loved one or whatever. Bless you, you know. You say, how did you get on that? I I got on that by this, okay. He calls every star by name. So hopefully you named it what he already called it by. But um, at any rate, he knows every star. He calls them by name. This is our God. And tell me, what is more praiseworthy? There is nothing more praiseworthy than God. And he's saying, praise the Lord for his character, for his justice, for his creation. Someone penned the little poem, Why should I complain of want of distress? afflictions, or pain. He told me no less. The heir of salvation I know from his word through much tribulation must follow their Lord. God writes with a pen that never blots, speaks with a tongue that never slips, acts with a hand that never fails. Bless his name. Think of that. He speaks with a tongue that never slips. He acts with a hand that never fails. And so he tells us, praise the Lord. Is that a priority in your life? Or do we go about life and grumble and complain and murmur and and gripe about things not going our way? So he says, praise the Lord in the first seven verses. Then in verse 8, he says, let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. First of all, we praise the Lord. And praise really is born out of a fear of God. Where we stand in awe of God. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. His power. 
Again, he reminds us, verse 9, he spoke and it was done. Notice verse 10. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He makes the plans of the people of no effect. There are all kinds of conspiracy theories about nations and and all these things. And you know what? I believe there is a conspiracy. I believe Satan is conspiring to undo all the plans of Satan. But it doesn't matter what all the nations of the earth plan and conspire. Notice what it says. He brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He makes the plans of the people of no effect. We have been studying on Sunday nights about prophecy and and last Sunday night we looked at um, Ezekiel 38 and 39. And tonight we'll be looking in Daniel. And God gives these prophecies and there's no one that's going to stop it. In fact, in Ezekiel it says he puts hooks in their mouths and he, he, brings, he will bring the nations down upon Israel. All the plans of the nations are subject to God and are obedient to God. He makes the plans of the nations of no effect. That's our God. That's the God that we have access to through the blood of Jesus Christ. Think of the power that we should stand in awe of him. Notice verse 11, though. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. Did you ever think about it? God never has ever had to have a plan B. His counsel stands forever. This is my counsel. This is my plan. This is what we're going to do. His counsel stands forever. God is never impressed with the power of any man or any nation. God never goes, wow, look what they've developed. God never goes, wow, look how fast that guy ran. Wow, look at how much weight he can lift. Wow, God's never wowed by us. The sad part is we're seldom wowed by God, which we ought to be. That we ought to stand in awe of him. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. To fear and stand in awe of him for his power. But he goes on in verse 13 and he says that we ought to stand in awe of him for his knowledge. For the Lord looks from heaven and sees all the sons of men. From the place of his dwelling he looks on all the inhabitants of the earth. He fashions their hearts individually He considers all their works. I don't know about you, but verses 13, 14, and 15 ought to make every one of us shake in our boots. The Lord looks upon the children of men. He sees all their works. He sees, he knows every every detail about you. Do you think if he knows how, how many hairs are on your head, which he does... Do you think he also 
knows the thoughts that you're thinking, the works that you're doing. And the psalmist says, we serve an awesome God and we ought to fear him, understanding that God is watching and observing every detail about our lives. Again, we've mentioned it before, if if you walked out the door and God said, showed up and got in your car and said, I'm going to be with you all this week, 24-7, in person. Wow. But it's true. He looks from heaven. He sees all the sons of men. He considers all their works. He observes all mankind. He sees all our works. And that should cause us to stand in awe of him. That should cause us to fear him. And then he goes on in verse 16. And he says, No king is saved by the multitude of an army. A mighty man is not delivered by great strength. A horse is a vain hope for safety. Neither shall it deliver any by its great strength. But the eye of the Lord is on those that fear him. And it goes on and it talks about those that fear him and trust in him. He says, praise the Lord, fear the Lord, and trust the Lord. It is vain for you to trust in the strength of man to deliver you. It is vain for me to trust in my wisdom, my strength, or anyone else's wisdom and strength and cunning. Any, Psalm 118 He says, it is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. It is better to trust in the Lord, period. Why? He is a shield. He is a buckler to all those who trust in him. The psalmist said in Psalm 20, some trust in chariots and some in horses But we will remember the name of the Lord. Some trust in their IRA, their retirement. Some trust in their heritage. Some trust in their strength. But he said a wise man trusts in the Lord. Trust in the Lord, Proverbs 3, with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. You notice what he said in verse 18. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those that fear him, on those who hope in his mercy to deliver their soul from death, to keep them alive in the famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our shield, our help, and our shield. Our heart shall rejoice in him. Because we have trusted in his holy name. Notice it's a delivering trust. Verses 18 and 19. That he will deliver us and he will keep us alive in the famine. It's a trust in which he delivers us. It's a patient trust. That he said those that wait on him. 
He delivers. Our soul waits for the Lord, and He is our help and our shield. It is a rejoicing trust. We will rejoice in Him because we have trusted in Him. This is where the reality comes in in our walk with the Lord. When God says, this is what I want you to do, and we wrestle with this. Can I trust God with this? Can I really obey? Do I believe God knows what He's talking about? When he tells me, this is how I ought to run my finances. This is how I need to order my time. This is how I need to control my thought. Can we trust him with that? You know, one of the biggest areas that we struggle trusting God with is our finances. I'll tell you what, you'll never, ever, ever go wrong trusting God and following his directions with your finances. There will be... There will be steps that he'll ask you to take that you'll think, I don't know about this. But the reality is when you give everything you have to God, and it's all his anyway, he's the one that has given it to us, and you give whatever you have to God and say, God, I'm trusting you with this. God, I'm trusting you with my marriage. I'm trusting you with my children. I'm trusting you with my future. I'm trusting you with my finances. God will give direction. And there'll be some things that he'll direct us and we'll say, yes, I wanted to do that. And there'll be other things that he'll direct us and we'll say, I don't know about that. That's when the real test comes. Do we trust God? Are we obedient to Him? Is this what I really believe? He knows everything. He sees everything about me. And He will do what is best for me. There was a man who lived on Long Island years ago. And and he had a, a lifelong ambition of having his own barometer. Um, it was an instrument that you could tell by the barometric pressure of storms were coming. Um, I remember as a kid, we had a barometer. I really sound like I'm old now, right? And I can remember my dad or mom going up and tapping the barometer to see which way the needle, when you tap it, it it, it, if it was rising, the barometer would move that way, and, and if it was dropping, then um, it'd go the other way, of course. Duh, all right? But they'd, they'd tap that, and my dad would say, well, looks like storm, stormy weather's going to be coming. We, back then, of course, we didn't have mega Doppler, super Doppler that can tell you 10 days out what the weather's going to be and what time it is going to hit Lucas, Iowa, and at this time it's going to hit Sheraton, Iowa, and at this time, you know. So a barometer was very important, and this guy saved his money and bought a barometer, and he took it home. And to his dismay and disappointment, it wasn't reading right from his perspective. He'd tap on it. He tried adjusting it, but the indicator was just stuck in the indication which marked a hurricane. After shaking the barometer vigorously, you know that's always the cure for something, right? 
If it doesn't work, shake it. If you put your money in the pop machine, it doesn't come out. You shake the pop machine, you know. He shook it vigorously several times, and and it didn't change. He wrote a scorching letter to the store in which he had purchased the instrument, and the and the following morning, on his way to his office in New York, he mailed the letter to the place of business. That evening, he returned to Long Island to find not only the barometer missing, but his house was missing because the barometer's needle had been right. There was a hurricane. In our minds, we think, how did he not know that? This was back in the old days. But you know what? We're the same way. We read something from God's Word and we say, that can't be right. No, that can't be right. Do we trust the Word of God? Do we trust what it says? Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. Oh, I don't see him repaying that one. That person did me wrong, and, and I'm going to carry this bitterness, and I'm, I'm going to wait and see. Uh, come on, God, bring the judgment on them. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Well, I don't have anything against them, but you don't have anything for them either. Are you willing to trust God and overcome evil with good? Are we willing to be obedient in those things? See, it's, it's a matter of, of trusting God. An evangelist and pastor, and he'd been a, was a friend of my dad's, Dr. Monroe Parker. Some of you may have known him. Was traveling through South Alabama on one of those hot, sultry Alabama days. He stopped at a watermelon stand, picked out a watermelon, and asked the proprietor how much it costs. And he said, a dollar ten. And Dr. Parker dug in his pocket. He only found one dollar bill. And he said, all I have is a dollar. And the proprietor said, that's okay. I'll, I'll trust you for it. And he said, Wow, that is that is really nice of you. And he picked up his watermelon and started to leave. And and the man running the stand said, "Hey, where are you going?" He said, "I'm going outside to eat my watermelon." But you forgot to give me the dollar. The store man said. And Parker said, "Well, you said that you'd trust me for it. Yeah, I meant I'd trust you for the dime." Parker said, hey, bud, you weren't going to trust me at all. You were just willing to make a 10-cent gamble on my integrity. That's often how we are with God. We're willing to make a 10-cent gamble with God. We're not willing to trust him for the whole thing. We're not willing to give him. We, we give him a little bit but to surrender. And all of this ties in. Really, this is backwards. You trust God, you fear God, and then you will be filled with praise to God. 
And he starts at where he wants us to be, and he says, we, we have many, many things in which we should praise God for. But if we don't stand in awe of God, and if we don't trust God, our praise will be artificial. It won't be genuine. It won't be real. So it comes down basically to these three things that God's asking you to do. Number one, what areas today is he asking you to trust him? What area today? To some of you, it may be, be trusting him, and you know he's prompting you to go make something right with someone, seek forgiveness, whatever it is. What area is God asking you to trust him today? And then this aspect, do you stand in awe of God? Do you fear God? And the third aspect, what what evidence of praise has there been in your life? Can you imagine, can you imagine if we as Christians truly started praising the Lord for all that he does? Man told the story that he was out grumbling and griping about raking up all the leaves in his yard, and um, he heard a cheery voice say to him, Good morning. It was the lady that reads the gas meter, had walked up unnoticed to him, and, and he asked, How are you this blustery morning? And she said, I am richly blessed accompanied with a great smile. He said, after a quick attitude adjustment, I replied, so am I. Isn't God wonderful? Now, notice notice where he was. He was complaining about the raking these leaves in his spirit, mumbling, and somebody came along that was literally praising the Lord. I am richly blessed. She didn't say, hallelujah, glory to God in the house. She didn't call some great attention. She just simply, one, had a smile. I think some people are too worried about wrinkles that they never smile. Well, I'll tell you what, you'd look a lot better with a smile and wrinkles than you do with a sour puss that many times we put on our faces, okay? With a blessed smile, and she said, I am richly blessed, it was instrumental in changing this, and, and he said, I had to adjust my attitude, and I realized, so am I. And he said, isn't God wonderful? She said, he sure is. Are you a believer in Jesus too? Yes, I am. And he has filled my life with blessing. In that brief exchange... Unbeknown to her, she helped a guy go from the despair of self-pity. Man, and how many times we live in self-pity. To one person saying, I'm richly blessed and smiling, it made him realize, wait a minute, I am richly blessed too. And God is worthy of our praise. Think about it today. Think about it this, la- this next week. 
Are you going to choose to trust God and fear God and praise God? And you notice I said, are you going to choose to do it? Because it's a choice. God, today I I am committed to praising you. Expect that you'll have things come that will test your commitment to praise him. But it shouldn't surprise us. In this world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And so he says, rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise the Lord, for it is natural. It is becoming of a Christian, of a follower of Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would use our lives as instrument to bless others through our countenance, through our words, through our deeds, and that it would bring praise and glory to you. Lord, I pray today that each of us would learn to trust you more. Lord, I pray for individuals that perhaps have never trusted you for the forgiveness of their sins through faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray today that would be the day that they quit trusting in their own goodness, their own efforts, and that they would acknowledge their need of your forgiveness. Then, Lord, I pray for every believer here today. Lord, may we, may we learn to trust you. May we walk in the fear of you. And may our hearts be filled with praise to you. Lord, forgive us. Forgive me for grumbling and complaining. And, Lord, may our eyes be lifted up to see that you are worthy of praise. That you alone are worthy of praise. Lord, may you be pleased with the sacrifice of praise that comes from our lives for your glory, we 